everyone. Our scripture for this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. They say, In the presence of God and of Christ, Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Will you please pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for your love and the, your power that brought us all here together this morning. I pray everyone here, whether in person or online, can be filled with your word and your truth and can spread that love out into the rest of the world. I pray for Simon today as he preaches your word and that the words he speaks aren't his own, but that they're yours. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And in your heavenly name we pray, amen. Good morning. We're continuing our uh, series on the biblical worldview. And um, so, so I'm sorry if you showed up for a Thanksgiving sermon. Not going to happen today. <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're continuing that, that conversation about what a biblical worldview is um, and, and how we fit in that. And the biblical worldview is simply put like looking at the world through the lens of scripture. It's where we um, have a biblically informed perspective on all of reality. Another way of saying it is that the Bible is the basis. It's the basis for how we see and interact with the world around us. When we live in this biblical worldview, we believe what the Bible says about the world is true. And this inevitably will shape what we do, how we interact with the world. The biblical worldview means that we believe what the Bible says and the choices that we make, the actions that we take, the things that we do in our lives, what we believe about ourselves and the world and our purpose in life. All of these things are guided and shaped by the truth of Scripture. Now, this is a huge topic. It is. There's a lot at stake here. And there's a quote uh, by Nancy Percy. <clears throat> she's a, a fairly well-known author that became a Christian later in her life. And she has this great quote on what a worldview is. A worldview is like a mental map that tells you how to navigate the world effectively. I really like that. And we're going to come back to this idea of that mental map of that's, that's helping us navigate, guiding us through our world effectively. This mental map is formed by what we put into it, what we, the input we give to our minds. The things that we interpret to be reliable and true, they become the guidance for any and all situations that we find ourselves in. Our worldview guides and shapes our daily interactions with the world around us. And everyone has a worldview. 
We might say, well, I don't have a worldview, but you, you do have a worldview. It's, it's inevitable. We all shape worldviews based on what we are, what we are taking in. And as, as how we source that worldview, how we input things into that mental map tells us how to navigate life. This is a critical conversation, and I think it's, it's that way now more than ever. As disciples of Jesus Christ, as people who've claimed that we want to follow Jesus, we, does, we seek to have the Bible, God's word to us, to be the primary input into our mental map. We desire that the truth that's laid out in Scripture would become our navigation for all of life. However, and this is where, what we're going to talk about a lot today, our worldview can be polluted and manipulated, and oftentimes, sometimes, without us even realizing it. Our navigational mental map for how we see and interact with in the world around us can be warped, can be tainted, influenced, so that we see the world differently and act according to a different set of rules. There are many sources and many forces in the world that constantly seek our attention to gain access to that mental map, to change the navigational guidance that dictates our lives. There's a lot at stake here. In our passage today in 2 Timothy, this, our, our scripture is a, is a letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to one of his young students or mentees in ministry, his, and his name's Timothy. Timothy was staying in Ephesus, which was a town, a place that Paul had established a church there, and Timothy was serving as the teacher, the preacher, kind of the ministry leader for that church in Paul's place. Paul was writing to him to encourage him, to equip him to face the challenges and some of the opposition that he might be experiencing and that he would experience there. Towards the end of the letter, Paul says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's verses 3 and 4 of our passage this morning. Paul is showing how people can fall away from a biblical worldview and how their worldview becomes polluted. So what does he say? How does, how does a worldview, um, how does the biblical worldview become polluted? First, he says, we stop listening. We stop listening or putting up with sound teaching. Sound doctrine is how he says it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, when I look at the scriptures, there are things that make me uncomfortable in there. <laughs> there are things that rub me the wrong way. I don't know how to handle it exactly, and I wrestle with some of the truths of scriptures. Some of it is uncomfortable because there are things in the Bible that we don't know how to deal with, and there are things that the Bible does to confront and challenge us and shows us things about ourselves that maybe we didn't want to see, okay? So it can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable 
as we dive into scripture and there are some things in scripture that are simply hard to believe it's hard to believe but this is how the bible works sometimes this discomfort this confrontation with ourselves can cause us to shy away from it to maybe avoid the bible to stop listening and this is the first step this is when we remove the biblical witness and influence of the Bible and its, and its teaching from our lives, that's when the process of pollution starts. When we remove that steady input of biblical truth into our worldview, our mental navigational map for all of life, that's where it starts. Paul says that what happens next, the second step, so to speak, would be that we find teachers that suit our own desires and our itching ears. I love that like picture i just i see i see a dog just like oh i gotta scratch it you know like uh, itching ears we're, we're wanting to hear things that are comfortable that really scratch the itches that we have and this discomfort with the biblical witness or our or even just our lack of engagement with god's word often causes us to search for other sources for our worldview and paul i think is in the time of Paul and Timothy, there's a specific threat that some um, biblical scholars will say that Paul is kind of talking about here. Um, there were wandering teachers in this time called sophists, and they would and they would go from town to town and place to place, and they would teach on a variety of subjects, basically anything that they could get paid for. Okay, and their their target was to you know attract some of the younger, more influential uh, people in the in those regions, and and be able to give them their wisdom for a fee. Okay, so these sophists are are wandering teachers, and there's a few things that we know about the sophists um, that would be particularly uh, critical to our conversation today. First, sophists taught people whatever they wanted to hear, right? So they taught on a variety of subjects, anything that they could be paid for. They went place to place gathering students so um, that they could teach something for pay. And they were, sophists were masters of persuasion. Ultimately, their, their biggest skill was their ability to use persuasive rhetoric to kind of make an argument for their case, even if they didn't know a ton on the matter, to like to, um, to be able to, to give this you know, wisdom. And sometimes they can make really good points on, on issues until you realize that it's not totally based on fact, right? And the, the last uh, characteristic that we see in ancient sophists is that they, t they had a willingness to take either side of an argument. They believed that truth was not limited to one side of an argument. Ultimately, it didn't matter. The goal was simply to persuade, to influence, not to find the truth necessarily. There's kind of a famous example of this, um, and bear with me on the ancient uh, names for this, but there's a sophists, Corax and Tisius. And Corax was the teacher, Tisius was the student. And there became a dispute between them. Tisius didn't want to pay Corax's teaching fee, okay? So they go to court over this argument, and, and they walk into court, and, and Tisius is making his case. He says, well, I, don't th I shouldn't have to pay either way because 
either one, I'll win my argument in, in court and the judge will rule in my favor, or if I lose, this will be proof that Korax didn't teach me enough and doesn't deserve his, his pay. Okay, and then Korax comes in, and this, his argument is, well, I, he, he shouldn't have to pay, he, he, should, he should get paid either way, because um, either A, he will, he will win his case and get paid, or Tisius will beat him in his argument, which is proof that he taught him well enough to deserve his, his teaching fee, right? So this is kind of an, uh, a funny example of how, how this kind of mentality would work. And um, in my youth, uh, it, I unknowingly uh, engaged in some sophist philosophies at, on a couple of occasions. I'm going to share the stories with you. And it was when I was in middle school, and uh, we were in youth group, and one of the girls in, <clears throat> in youth group, we were doing some kind of activity that involved marshmallows as a snack. We were supposed to, we were going to eat marshmallows. And um, this girl, she said, well, I like marshmallows, but they're unnatural. They're unnatural. I'm not going to eat it. It's just junk food. I'm not going to eat them. And for some reason, I decided that I wanted to influence her worldview on marshmallows here. That just didn't sit right with me, okay? And so I said, well, don't you know that marshmallows are really a lot like cotton balls? They're really similar. They're both white and round and, and fluffy, and they both come in these, like, you know, packages that are about the same size, and there's just bunches of them in there, right? They look very similar, and they function the same. And cotton, and don't you know, cotton balls, they grow on plants. They grow on plants that bloom, and then they're, you can just take the little cotton balls right out of the blooms. Marshmallows are just like that. They're really, they're all natural. And, I mean, with this argument, I, she believed me for a minute. And, and um, that influence on her worldview of marshmallows causes, caused her to interact with them differently, and she chose to eat them, okay? On a different occasion, but probably around the same kind of like time and phase in my life, my sister and I were sitting at, at our table. We're having hot chocolate. We're having hot chocolate, and there was a limited supply of marshmallows in the cupboard. So, um, and my sister wanted some more, and I was like, well, I kind of want marshmallows. So I decided to maybe influence her worldview on these marshmallows. And so I said, well, Chloe, don't you know that marshmallows are made out of pig's feet? <laughs> and she goes, oh, I'm not going to eat marshmallows. Well, gross, pig's feet. And so this argument influenced her worldview on marshmallows, resulting in her not eating them. Okay, now, the truth of this, <laughs> the truth here in this situation is marshmallows might be similar in the first case to cotton balls, but they don't grow on plants. And I actually, I found out looking this up a little later <laughs> um, that cotton, the plant, uh, the cotton plant is part of this, you know, plant family called the mallow family. And I wish I had known that at the time. That would really would have stuck it there. Um, but obviously, no. They're not natural. They don't grow on plants. 
right? And then in the second case, marshmallows do contain gelatin, which is, you know, derived from animal skins and, and bone, which sometimes would involve pigs, but it's, a little, it's misleading to say that the main ingredient, they're not actually made of pig's feet. That's not the main ingredient in marshmallows, right? Okay, so, you know, both of these things are cases of just influencing their worldview of how they saw the marshmallows impacted their response about on the uh, on on how they interacted with them i didn't say don't eat them or do eat them you see what i'm saying that that influenced what ultimately they did paul was writing to timothy about the influence of these similarly minded teachers and their influence on the biblical worldview the threat that Paul was writing to Timothy about still exists in our culture today. It has simply taken a different shape because no, we might not have these wandering teachers that are teaching on a whole variety of subjects for any kind of pay, but we, our, our modern sophists are like social media or our 24-hour news cycle. And they share a lot of similarities with what the sophists do. You see, they teach us whatever we want to hear. Both of these processes, the 24-hour news cycle, social media platforms, they process an immense amount of information about us to determine what we want to hear and see, what we engage with. Algorithms, there's really complicated mathematical uh, formulas that are constantly at work on these power, on powerful computers that increasingly show us more and more of what we want to engage with. They know what we watch, what we look at, what we click, how long, what we're scrolling through, and how long we look at each of these things. And the goal is to keep showing you things that get your engagement. The goal is to, if they engage you for longer, the more influence they have. And the longer we engage, the more access we are giving to our, our worldview, our mental map that tells us how to navigate the world around us. And this process of seeking our engagement is, is all totally itching our ears scratching that itch teach us anything that'll scratch that itch and keep us engaged they're willing to teach us or show us anything the truth doesn't matter that's not what they're there for they're they're there for to keep us engaged modern sophists in social media and 24-hour news cycle are willing to take either side of an argument truth is not limited to one side that doesn't matter the goal is simply to engage, to influence, not to find the truth. When we give in to our itching ears, we are shown more and more and more and more of what we want to hear. Social media, especially, is custom made. I mean, when I, when I open my social media platforms, mine looks different than yours. Not, because, not only because I have different friends and different social connections, because I have different interests. It's showing me the things that I've read and I like to read and that I'm interested in. So mine, is, mine looks very different from yours. The 24-hour news cycle is also custom-made and tailored to reinforce a particular affiliation or political platform, yes? We gather in this process of engagement 
we gather such a mass of teachers that tell us more of what we want to hear. And this process goes on to the point where we get this like false sense of everyone agrees with us, or at least everybody reasonable agrees with us, right? Everyone, at some point, everyone we listen to sounds like us, sounds like things that we would say, that we think. And this kind of sounds familiar to something. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. By our engagement, by our itching ears, we, over time, create our own echo chamber. We create our own echo chamber, so the only voices coming, going out and coming in, they're all sounding the same. Have you ever wondered over the past few years especially, how can people be so stupid? How can people be so stupid? How can they believe something like that? Where are they reading that? I don't see that anywhere. This is why our society especially has become so polarized. This is why we have seen, and there's lots of charts and graphics that, statistics that show this, this is why we have seen this kind of blind hatred and conflict in our culture. We find ourselves in these echo chambers and we can't fathom how anyone else would think differently. And when these echo chamber worldviews collide, the results are explosive, right? We've seen this. Rashida Richardson from the NYU School of Law says, we are we all are simply operating on a different set of facts. And when that happens at scale, you're no longer able to reckon with or even consume information that contradicts the, that, that worldview you have created. At some point, the echo chamber gets so intense that we can't even stand. We can't even stand hearing anything else. We push it out, right? This is, we defend the worldview that we have created. The more we give into our itching ears, the more our worldview becomes warped, out of balance, lopsided. These echo chambers are, are causing this intense conflict. Modern sophists are also masters of persuasion. And social media platforms and 24-hour news cycles have engaged the psychology of persuasion into technology. The more we engage, the more access and influence others have to our mental worldview. Let me ask you this. Do we pay for these services? No. They're free. Social media is free. You can create free accounts. And the 24-hour news cycles are free. They're available everywhere. Tristan Harris, for the, one of the co-founders of the Center for Humane Technology, has a, has a quote that says, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. You are the product. What they are selling, what they are selling is access, their access and influence to our worldviews the ability to influence and change 
our behavior, to change our worldview and the way that we interact with the world around us. And now you might be saying, how, how are they influencing us really? I mean, so what if they cause me to waste some time watching cat videos and influence me to buy a certain brand of cookies? Okay, big deal. Well, there's just, but it's important to know there's an immense amount of data that's being collected and they're getting, these programs are getting better and better and better at predicting and influencing our behavior. The algorithms in social media and 24-hour news sources utilize persuasive technology to keep us engaged, to shape our worldview. Modern sophists use persuasive technology systems to access and influence our worldviews and then sell that ability to those that are willing and able to pay for it. So whether it is giving us more cat videos to watch, suggesting recent videos and pictures from our friends, articles with, that have similar content to what we've read before, or news of horrific catastrophes, or suggesting other you know, rabbit holes to go down, the goal is the same. Keep us engaged. Keep us engaged and gain further access and influence over our worldview. This is their product. We are their product. Modern sophists are itching our ears to keep us engaged in selling their proven ability to change your worldview and your resulting behavior for commercial benefit. The threat that that Paul was writing to Timothy about still exists in our culture today. It simply has taken on another shape. The biblical worldview this is what Paul is, is writing about. The biblical worldview becomes polluted when we, one, stop listening. Stop putting up with sound teaching. We cut ourselves off from the biblical witness as our primary source for our worldview. Second, we find teachers that suit our own desires and our itching ears, and we amass so many teachers that itch our ears that we no longer listen to a different point of view. And when this happens... The final phase, we turn away from the truth and embrace myths. When we land ourselves in, the, in our own echo chambers, we turn away from the truth and fully embrace myths. And the result of this process is ultimately we embrace a new worldview. Our mental map has accepted and confirmed a new set of rules to navigate and guide us through life. Why am I saying all this? I am not saying that you have to cancel social media and never watch the news in order to be a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. But if Christians want to maintain a biblical worldview, we have to be aware of how our worldview can be polluted and how we might be being influenced. And you might say, well, what are we supposed to do? How, how, how do we maintain a biblical worldview and respond to those who think differently than us? Paul's advice to Timothy in our scripture this morning is, is all about how, how to avoid worldview pollution. And first he says, preach the word and be prepared. In another letter that Paul wrote, um, he, 
in Romans, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what scripture does for us. When we immerse our, our lives and our minds in scriptures, the power of the Holy Spirit that inspired those words will constantly cause this renewal of our minds, will, will shape our worldview. When we put that as the primary input for our mental map, we can be prepared for when other influences come. Everything that comes to us is, has to be filtered through that primary source, that primary input. The second thing he says is keep your head in all situations. Be well balanced, essentially. And um, keep a level head. He, he encourages Timothy when engaging with others that might disagree or opponents to both correct and rebuke and give encouragement and and patient instruction. And a lot of times we can go really heavy on one of the two of those things. But Paul says, be well balanced. Keep your head in all situations. And last, Paul says, endure hardship. Endure hardship because there will be times. There will be times of conflict and difficulty. It's not going to be, it's not easy to maintain a biblical worldview and we as Christians are called to endure that hardship, to stay faithful to the call, maintain the biblical worldview so that we can be witnesses to God's truth in the world around us. And, and now, how, how is this possible? Where do we start? Who do we look to? What, how does this work? We as Christians don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. Because in Jesus we see the biblical worldview perfectly demonstrated. We see, we see Jesus saturated in the scriptures, whether he, is, whether he is responding to temptations from the devil in the desert, whether he is, is, is you know, combating the, the religious teachers and leaders of the time, whether he is teaching his disciples or speaking to a group of families and children on a mountainside. He is saturated in scripture. The words out of his mouth are just dripping with the truth of scriptures and informing us how we can see them. When, when Jesus walked the earth, we see balance in the way that he approached his opponents. Because yeah, he came down hard in some, time, in some instances against the religious leaders and the Jewish teachers of the law at the time. And yet we see gentleness and patience with the woman caught in adultery. We see, we, see that, we see him come down hard, even on some of his disciples that were saying things that, that were, un, were untrue or that, or that were contrary to the biblical worldview. And yet we also see him patiently teaching them, giving example. And even some of these religious teachers, when Nicodemus, who is one of these teachers and religious experts, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night to sit by the fire with him, to ask about how he might enter the kingdom of God, we see a totally different balance in how Jesus responds to him in that moment. And last, we see Jesus enduring hardship. We see Jesus enduring the harshest of hardship for his worldview. He, was, he died 
because of the worldview that he held and exemplified. He was willing to pay that price on the cross to sacrifice himself so that we might have the opportunity to see the world the way God intended it to be. To not, to not just be looking towards it in this life, looking for it, trying to, trying to see the biblical worldview represented in the world around us, but that we might see it come to fruition, that it might be the only reality, that we might finally experience wholeness and perfection the way that God intended the world to be. In Jesus, we see the biblical worldview the, the truth of scripture, the coming of the kingdom of God in the flesh. And that's where our hope lies. That's how we maintain a biblical worldview and resist the pollution of other influences. And so now I'd ask you in this moment to stand and let's profess the faith that is founded on these scriptures in the word of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.